0: It's the slow road that brings healing. It is not something outside of Christ. It's not outside of something that we can know. It's, it's within his order. You know, It's within his heart and his creation, which is designed for our wholeness, for our goodness, for our healing, and to order us back to his divine heart.
1: Can stepping out of a worldly understanding of our health bring back order and stability to our lives? What does it mean to have a divine physician In this episode, natural health educator and author, Melody Lyons, shares how God wiped the scales from her eyes and allowed her to discover healing by making choices based on integrating body, soul, and mind.
0: So I wanted a way to be able to lead people in other directions because we need ways to manage stress. We need ways to bring our adrenal function back (laughs) into alignment, to reincorporate prayer, and to honor the body. We need direction, so we step out of the mainstream, right? When we step into the alternative, where we're like, yes, we want to get out of the hole. We don't. We no longer be, want to be in the machine. And then we find ourselves in another machine, and they're directing us in ways that aren't necessarily going to lead, to, ultimately, to, to the healing that we most need, you know, in Christ.
1: When we see clearly the majesty of God's plan woven into every aspect of creation, we can receive the restoration and recovery we so deeply desire this is living the call melody lyons welcome to the show
0: thank you so good to be here deacon charlie
1: it's so great to have you too we had our our kind of setup conversation and i was like wow i there's there's about a billion things that i want to talk to melody about but you know um first and foremost i've been reading your book I'm sad to say I'm not done with your book, but I have been reading it, and I've been feverishly highlighting things. So if you hear um, you know, pages in the background, that's me uh, turning, <laughs> turning the pages of the sunshine principle, and we'll make sure that you know folks know all about that. Maybe the place to start here, though, melody is because I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you describe yourself um, as a, as a natural health educator uh, and an author, and really, you know, a person who's looking to advance this restoration of culture through through natural healing and and uh, you know, an education around that. I think that a cool place to start could be the 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 moment that we find ourselves in culturally right now. It seems to me. And I'd love your thoughts on it. It seems to me that at least on a popular level right now, we've entered a moment where increasingly folks of all different stripes and spiritual, you know, points in, in their journeys have come to a realization that we are in a way surrounded by a lot of toxicity, right? There's this huge kind of movement, I don't know what else to call it, but a sense of awareness around wellness, mental health, um... Tremendous amount of investment and it's just like something that's in the conversation a lot more And I wonder because you've been involved in this for quite a while and you've gone through your own um, Health issues that I think in part have been an inspiration to it Like what you make of this moment kind of collectively in the consciousness right now around wellness and and health in general
0: Well, I think that that it's pretty obvious that people are sick, you know (laughs) I think mentally physically, spiritually, there's just this profound sense of, of illness, of desperation, of, you know, of, of loss, of, of grief, of disease, you know, in so many different facets, we're just wandering around trying to be better, which strikes me every time I like drive through the city to church or whatever. And, and all of these massive, massive buildings are going up and they're expansions on medical systems, you know, like I can't even, fathom the growth it's incredible and and so as we get sicker we just have this we have this response we know that things are toxic but we want to heal right now and what you know where from my standpoint what i'm seeing and i think that with the church is illuminated throughout all of history is that it's the slow road that brings healing mm. it is not something outside of of Christ. It's not outside of something that we can know. Um, It's, it's within his order, you know, it's within his heart and his uh, God's creation, which is designed for our wholeness, for our goodness, for our healing, and to order us back to his divine heart. Um, And so we have this frantic sort of acknowledgement that yes, everything is toxic. Uh, But I think the solution is wrong in so many cases, you know, we find ourselves in this weird place where we're like clinging to this, (laughs) clinging to the experts and clinging to the medical solutions and sort of missing, missing the point.
1: I saw just yesterday, I kind of caught it in the background, a commercial for a new app. I forget what it's called. I'm not even sure if I would mention it, even if I did remember it, but it featured as a spokesperson a very prominent um, Olympic uh, athlete Simone Biles, who mm. um, who actually I believe is is Catholic or professes a Catholic faith in some level, and you know she's gone through a bunch of different mental health issues. Very famously, just recently, kind of withdrew from Olympic competition because of it. But it was an application all about like health and wellness and mental wellness, and it was. You know, all I saw was just a series of like twenty different screens, and this and this woman intently looking at the screen, you know, trying to get well. And I thought, in a way, how kind of counterintuitive that was. Like, you know, here I am trying to to deal with whatever my mental health issues are, which, from a Christian standpoint, might necessitate things like relationship and introspection and discernment. And yet, we we're proposing sort of an application. And going through it at like lightning speed in order to kind of get better, and maybe there's a little analogy to that in terms of your you know big medical building, you know analogy. Let's like build all these different things to try to get yep. better, but there's some part of it implicitly that is the problem.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's even true in the natural health world where, you know, we're like, well, we don't want big medicine because we see the problems there, you know, and we don't want to just keep turning to pharma. But hey, you know, I've got like this device and that device and 20,000 supplements. And I'm not saying there's no value there. But at some point, we have to get to the root and say, why all this dysfunction? Like, we know that there's sickness and we know that there's death and part of being a christian honestly is like reconciling with, with that that's a that's like actually the primacy right i mean we are going to die and um so so how are we to approach living and how are we to approach healing and sickness and mm. you, you know just like this frantic and i love natural healing and i love the alternatives but how many band-aids you know, can we put on before we just have to step back, put down the phone, put down, you know, all the expenditures and everything and say, where are we going? You know, what are we designed for? Who are we designed for? How did God create our body? And, um, you know, it's just like press pause.
1: Yeah. No question. Well, it, you know, and you're very good in your book, the, the Sunshine Principle, you're very good about giving, you have a number of sort of disclaimers, right, lest anybody think that you're saying something you're not. One of them is like, look, there's been a lot of good that's been done by, you know, medicine in the traditional sense, and there's a lot of well-meaning people of good faith who are committed to this, nurses and doctors and researchers and all that. However, right, there's like a semicolon, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we're chasing down because of the way the system has been kind of constructed, really are, are sort of at odds with what the best approach is, and 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 your kind of you know summation of that is a definition that you give to the sunshine principle, where you call it the simple truth that the greatest potential for healing occurs when we align our behaviors with God's natural, biological, and spiritual laws.
0: Yes. Yep yeah, it's it's a it's a, um, it's a collaboration. It's a Mm. cooperation. So, um, you know, I think what secular medicine does so much is it seeks the uh, management, but even more than that, like the dominance over and the control of, and it has to be more of a collaborative effort because we, there has to be a degree of humility there. Like we didn't design this. We don't actually know what we're doing. It's so, I mean, the more, the deeper you get into science and biology, like the more mystery there is, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like it's so vast. I'm always astonished, you know, a new study will come out about this or that. And, and I'm like, wow, we didn't know that already. You know, (laughs) like this is, this is just, uh, we'll never get to the end of it. And so at some point we have to surrender that and say, this isn't ours. How do we surrender? How do we find his path? and then use the gifts that he has given us to collaborate with it. And that does not exclude um, mainstream medicine.
1: Have you thought about ways um, of maybe short-circuiting the sort of traditional medicine industry so that people can enter that with a deeper understanding of this great um, you know, sort of design miracle that is the body and everything associated with it. Because one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting that you laid out in, in one of the initial chapters of the book is this sense that a lot of medical professionals are really not equipped to sort of, when they get out into the space, they don't have that kind of background of understanding of, you know, what the body is and does. They understand kind of the, maybe the, the way to deal with symptoms or deal with illness, I think is how you put it, but not necessarily the kind of preventative ends of this. I thought that was a really interesting point.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it, we have to interfere with it. Um, not, we're not going to be able to change the industry. I think that's like a lot of things. Like we can't control politics, you know, all the global stuff that's going on. We can pray and we can do what we can locally, but ultimately, you know, we're responsible for our behaviors and that has to be where it changes. We have to interfere And I don't mean interfere, like go to the doctor's office and start banging on doors. I mean, we have to interfere on on that um, the local level, you know, the principle of subsidiarity. We have to come into our homes and say, where do we interfere with the dysfunction and the disorder? How do we bring it back? And one I think one really good example is um, from a, a motherhood perspective is the birth industry which is so disordered, <laughs> like it's so disordered, um, you know, you go in there and, and basically the woman is handled by people who don't really know birth that well. And I don't mean that as an insult to the obstetricians or to the, you know, labor and delivery nurses. I don't. But uh, the function of the woman's body and uh, being able to mentor a woman through the process of labor as, it, as it's intended to be by God not a lot of people actually know how to do that. And so, you know, going into a hospital system, for example, we find that we're we're plugged into a medical model. But what a lot more women are doing now um, is stepping away from that model because within it, they cannot really honor the way that they want to birth, honor the way that they believe that God, you know, designed their bodies to to deliver and honor their children. And so you have mm. this stepping away. And what happens then is that you have... Um, You have more interest in like home birth midwives. You have more interest in doulas You have a sort of a system growing up outside of a system that looks more like family and community And uh, it arises in order to respond to a need Um, And I think that's the way we do it. We do it first by stepping back finding out, you know, what is the design? What am I doing? How can I take ownership over my own health um, let me learn about this, and then how can I support other people? Like it has to, subsidiarity is really where it's got to be.
1: Do you think that there's uh, like a stigma uh, for for those kind of alternative approaches right now, or or how has that changed over the years? My sense is that. Maybe there's in a weird way more openness to alternative methods now than there have in the past. Because, uh, you know, I remember just as one quick example, um, I, you know, when I left my last corporate job, probably about a decade ago, I stopped kind of group in health insurance. And I went to a kind of like a faith sharing ministry that at the time was really new. And and basically for those who don't know, it's, you know, you write a check every month, yes, but A, it's a much smaller check. And B, you're sending that check to an individual. And what the health sharing ministry does is basically connect people who are paying a bill with somebody's actual cost for medic for medical care. And I've had that for 10 years, but Melody, when I told people about that in the beginning, it was like I was saying I was going to go, you know, take a spaceship to Mars. Yeah. I mean, it was like you you're like, you're kidding. so where where are we right now relative to the kind of stigma for alternative views of of uh, well, what is alternative maybe to the world, but is like maybe more just natural uh, in the grand scheme?
0: Uh, it's really hard to say that's a really good question. and i'm I, and I'm not completely sure because. Um, again, we have this industry rising up out of the natural alternative, you know, the desire for those things. And I see some negatives to that as well. Um, you know, you know, it's just, it's becoming like another, uh, whole world that you have to navigate, especially for Christians because, yeah. because it's, it's just dominated by the occult and, and the by, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book and why I speak out because we need, like, we just need, we need direction. So we step out of the mainstream, right? And we step into the alternative, where we're like, yes, we want to get out of the hole. We don't, we no longer be want to be in the machine. And then we find ourselves in another machine, and they're directing us in ways that aren't necessarily going to lead to, ultimately to to the healing that we most need, you know, in Christ. And so, and then we have to like redirect, you know, recalculating. Um, so the stigma is. Is interesting like I go back to the birth thing you know if you have a home birth if you want to do a natural birth you're still considered nuts it's just right. what it is it's, it's out there it's yeah but there's there is more information than there ever has been um, I think with the internet and with communities online there's more support than there ever has been Um, I would say in the general population and locally and in families it's still you know it's still challenging but but the conversation is out there. more people mm. are hearing it. So I guess I'm just not real sure I see the stigma um it's pretty loud, especially you know with with Christians, with Catholics, you know people are yeah. very, very leery
1: It's a super interesting point too about like once you do break into the alternative, then you're you're in you're among some pretty strange bedfellows, right stuff that on a surface, maybe feels like, yeah, this could be right or cool, or it, or the world looks at it and goes, yeah, that's 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 cool. But really, at a deeper level, is decidedly unChristian, certainly unCatholic, right? In a lot of yeah. its its approaches. So that's definitely true. I, I, I see that in in you know, and I've talked about some of this in past episodes of the show, but I see that a lot in like we do a lot of work with with the homeless uh, situation and. You know, I find that a lot of you know, otherwise very faithful, orthodox, um, you know, Christians, Catholics, etc. In a way, th- the, the whole idea of homelessness and certainly alternatives to homelessness are kind of put in this category of like. Sort of hippy dippy stuff that we don't want to take a look at, and consequently, as a result, maybe not intended, we've kind of seeded a lot of the good work that is done in that world, or the or the good opportunity that is done in the, in the area of homelessness, as an example, to a lot of forces and organizations that ultimately are really not approaching the issue from 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 a good perspective. And it's a, it's like a weird thing because you you want to find an alternative to what the system is, but when you get there, it's like. In in a way it can even be worse.
0: Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good comparison. Because we we compartmentalize, you know, we want everything mm. to be black and white, like this is the right way, this is the wrong way, this is fidelity, this is dissent, you know, and, and in the middle there are a lot of people, you know, there's souls. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's messy, but we're called to this messy sort of love that can flex, you know, and, and step in and out. And we draw a hard line at those things which harm people. So mm. like, you know, that's why we we pursue truth, because uh, we want people to be safe bodily. But ultimately, you know, we want them to be with our Lord. You know, we mm. want them to be with our Lord here. We want them to be with our Lord for eternity. And so, it, you know, there's that baseline. But How do you... in all of the other things, you know, it's it's very yeah. it's very tricky.
1: How do you how do you discern or how have you personally maybe in your life discerned the difference between the messy and the disordered?
0: Oh, that's that's it's tough, like it's complex, but it's also really simple. And I think um you know, one way that I've come to my own way of discerning things is because I'm not I'm not Uh, capable of grasping the really difficult aspects you know of theology or whatever i can understand if people are explaining to me but then sometimes i have a hard time uh, you know pouring it out again or like revisiting it and remembering how did they say that how did they articulate it and so i have to take the faith and belief and break it down to the bare bones you know and that's really the gospel the truths of jesus christ and on a very practical level, like you're talking about uh, working with the homeless, you know, or, you know, the example I was using earlier of working with um, a women, you know, who, who, are, who are laboring and birthing. Um, wherever we are working with people, people who are ill, um, it's it, we need to look through the lens of Christ. What difference mm. does Christ make in the world, you know? And when we're looking at truth, does this lead us to, to the love of this soul and the greatest good of this soul, or does it lead us away? And I don't mean to oversimplify. You know, because we, we, I mean, I'm talking, you know, this is a Catholic podcast and we know the faith and all of those things. So I'm not trying to oversimplify, but in some cases, like let's look at contraception, for example, you know, um, you know, some, some people might argue for the contraception and this, and we can compromise in this way, but when you break it down, what does it do to the body? Yeah. It destroys the body. And what does it do to relationships? It destroys relationships. So on a very personal level, the truths of our faith reflect what happens to, um, you know, God's design for our bodies as well. So I think, you know, to some extent we can navigate through those things.
1: I totally get that. I think it's like, you know, so the 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 difference between messy and disordered is the degree to which whatever it is, is drawing you closer or farther away from God. And it's like, that's a great way to kind of check it. It reminds me, I, I, I watched one of your pieces, this is go, it's going back a few years, but I watched a piece that you did about yoga and and how you, you know, you were kind of a practitioner. I think you called it light yoga or maybe, yeah. maybe I'm getting it wrong, but but at some point you were a practitioner of yoga and even your kids did some of it, stretching and that kind of stuff. But then you kind of got deeper into it and started to understand what some of the intent of yoga is. And ultimately you could, you kind of discern that this was something that really wasn't oriented to drawing you closer to God. And some of it just in the, in the very active yoga is about sort of finding the oneness that is in you rather than the oneness that created you. So some of it's like really simple, but you can kind of get lost in it. But, but that is a good kind of, you know, barometer is like, is this drawing me closer to the source of all truth and all being, or is it making me the source of truth or all being or some other thing, the source of truth or all being. And that could be like a way to check that, you know, before it gets too far down the path.
0: Yeah, that's a good example because that's, it can be a complicated issue for people. And it was, you know, when we were discussing it in our home and, and arguing back and forth about it, like, you know, what do you think, you know, and, and people, and and we found that we were all clinging to different elements, different details, um, and we were kind of getting lost in the weeds. And so it was necessary again, to go back to break it down to a skeletal level. What is it? Mm. Where did it come from? You know what is it oriented toward, and can we do it differently? Can we do it in a way that does not have any connection to like Eastern spirituality (laughs) and yeah, and you know the worship of pagan gods and all of those things? Can we separate it, and why not? Why not? Um, So Mm -hmm. you know it's it's complex on the one hand because it involves people, their attachments, our um, our understanding that movement is basically not evil like it comes from god but then looking let's just simplify well well, this is directly hindu spirituality and let's let's do something else
1: yeah you this this book and your experience um and really the work that you do for you obviously is deeply personal and it's rooted in a lot of things that you've been through i'm reminded just in this conversation about kind of messiness and you know versus disorder that a lot of the um you know, maybe spiritual influence that you've had. I mean, you've had some Eastern influences, too, but you've also been you know very influenced by the work of uh, Saint. Hildegard von Bingen. Mm. and i'm I'm going to quote you here because I think it ties right to this whole idea of um of messiness because Saint. Hildegard is uh, has also throughout history been viewed equal parts suspiciously and in other ways you know in in a very reverent way and we've kind of even in a catholic consciousness have kind of gone back and forth on what she's meant to the church but you say saint hildegard is an enigma to many catholics who are not accustomed to speaking with passion and fire about god and his treasures made manifest in humanity we want a neat pill and she offers us a messy poultice we want a snappy hymn and she composes a lengthy mystical piece. But, you know, at the end of it was Hildegard's orientation to write sort of back to back to your point is like, yeah, it was messy. And she was she was a firebrand. I mean, she was, a, you know, some people would even say she was kind of radical in a lot of things that yep. she did. Um, but nevertheless, her orientation was always clear.
0: Always. And not only that, but she was um, she was obedient And she, she taught obedience like to the church and to Christ's teaching, like people who are taking Hildegard out of context have not read her work. (laughs) I mean, period. When you get in there, you, you, you know, you you read stuff that's like most of our Catholic priests would not dare preach from the Mm. pulpit because it's hardcore, you know, and it's, it's about fidelity to the church. So, um, you know, taking somebody at their word is a pretty good way to go, too.
1: <laughs> she, she's been kind of co-opted a little bit by the New Age uh, movement, though, hasn't she?
0: Significantly, to the point where it's actually difficult to find a translation that is not contaminated um, by either like people who dissent from the moral teachings of the church or people who are just like not even pretending. You know, they're just into pagan goddess worship and then but they're so drawn to the church and to the to mm. the spirituality that it's like they can't help but um co-opt all the female saints and change their stories and you know and make them into like mystical uh, dissidents somehow but it's it's not true
1: w- would you consider yourself a-, a convert from the new age w- would you ever like go to that level or just that you were involved in new age things at some point in your life
0: well i went through the sacraments early in life. And I think it was just mostly a cultural thing. Um, and to go through Catholic schools too, because in my family, I would never say that, that we were practicing the faith and in fact, the opposite, you know, so Mm. I was raised in, in an environment where I did not know. Um, I did not really know the teachings of Christ and I always knew the teachings of New age. So I grew up in the Catholic culture, but with that, um, oh, just with like a, a spirit of dissent, and then also the complexities like loving Jesus as, you, know a mentor as a great teacher, or you know, guru. all of those things, a guru. yeah. Um, so I guess you know, I was already baptized and I had my first sacraments and all of those things. Um, but I would say, certainly, for myself, there was a conversion because I wasn't there. I had never been there. I had never known Christ in that way. In spite of being in Catholic schools, I really hadn't. So it was a, a reversion in some ways, yeah. <laughs> but a total conversion of heart and mind.
1: What was it about the New Age movement at that time in your life that you found attractive or interesting?
0: I mean, it was personal to me. It was close to me. I was familiar with it. You know, people I loved were involved in it. And it was, it's very welcoming. It's very soft. Like when you, when you land there, there's a place for you to land where, where there are no hard, hard edges, where you really have to like examine the hard moral issues or, Mm. you, you know, um, it's, you're accepted. And, um, and really, wherever you fall spiritually is okay, so the one thing as i as I grew older, you know an older youth, and started to take things belief my own beliefs more seriously, what I found appealing was this idea that um the spiritual was dominant over the physical, and in fact the physical the spiritual released us from this bondage to the mm. physical, which leads into this very, very dangerous, I, I would say literally dangerous, parents, please pay attention, idea. It's, it's a heresy, actually, that the body is evil.
1: Yeah, Gnosticism or Manichaeism or something exactly. along those lines.
0: Exactly. And so that eventually drew me to a very, very bad place because in my spiritual experiences, like in the meditations and all of those things, I experienced a very real freedom you know that that emotion and that actual physical experience that I had was almost, um, you know, sometimes euphoric or, um, you know, almost like a drug where you keep going back to it, and then you come back to Earth,
1: <laughs> right. so to
0: speak, and it's just such a disappointment. It's such a disappointment, and the heaviness and everything, and then it's that desire to be free of it, to to cast it off, and to be like one with the universal power and the energy, you know, and just to be floating out there in space with 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 you know um the universe is like it's really appealing
1: it's super interesting too because i can totally i mean i i don't know that i got to the degree of um of practicing the new age but certainly you know elements of the new age right um Meditation, um, or you know, meditation is not. I'm not saying all of meditation is. There can be a very Christian form of meditation and contemplation, really. But this sense of like all roads lead to, you know, the 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 eternal, like the 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 one, and we can kind of discover that. I definitely dabbled in that, and it is interesting what you say that when you're doing this. There is this this sense of lightness of euphoria of positivity but then you have to return right to to where mm-hmm. you are and there's this deep dissatisfaction when you get back to what you are whereas the christian life in a way is the exact opposite which is you know when you are you know you have this active sacramental prayer life and you get all the slings and arrows of life nevertheless one of the benefits is that you view the world like you, the scales kind of fall off your eyes and things that look kind of banal and just, you know, whatever, just the the kind of regular stuff of life can take on a a, a shine and can take on a beauty, particularly when we talk to other people. So it's like, it's the exact opposite. But when you're in that and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, meditating or doing whatever it may be, you feel so connected. But then upon return, you're like, you're like devastated. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's so weird.
0: Yeah, like with 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 conversion and and the the stages of conversion and growing deeper in in the faith as a Christian, you're right. Like everything becomes more beautiful and that mystery how even in this um E- even in the crucifixion, even in the carrying of our cross, you know, like we can look, people think we're nuts because we look at a crucifix and we don't think anything of it. We're just like, oh, what a beautiful crucifix, you know? And like somebody who doesn't share the faith is like. It's like
1: a dead guy on a okay. piece of wood. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right.
0: right. But there's this depth of understanding and this, you know, being able to look upon life as this, um, you know, this sort of depth and see the, um, see this thread of grace. And glory and beauty and liberation running through it. And, you know, in the, in the uh, New Age occult side was just like flat. And mm. it, that's completely diabolical. It's so demonic, mm. you know, teaching us, especially the young, to, you know, get to this place of despair. I mean, that's where it brought me, you know, where you just face to face with this this um, desperation, this despair, like I've got to leave I've got to be free and you know what it's okay because you get lots of lives
1: (laughs) like sure you know you get to do this again was there a moment of like particular inflection for you during that new age journey where like just one moment you were like no i'm done with this or was it kind of a gradual thing
0: um you know i can look when you look back you can see moments um but i do think so it was somewhat gradual i do remember at one point i One thing that happened as I progressed into more occult type things was that I was really um, plagued by terror. Mm. Uh, The beauty and the relief had gone and it was replaced by a persistent terror. And um, in the midst of that one night, I was begging and pleading to God. And I wasn't even sure I believed God, but all I could think was like, okay, nobody can help me. I can't help me. Nobody on earth can help me. None of these, you know, angels or whatever they are can help me. And all I could think of was, okay, well, if a God exists, that's it. Like he can help me. And I cried out to God on that night. I remember that and nothing. I don't remember anything coming of it at that time. You know, there was a lot of struggle left to go, but I do remember that moment and he didn't leave me there. Mm. Um, and then I also remember as I was coming out of the new age and occult beliefs and coming into the faith. Um, That was a process, but there was one moment where I was like, I I kept, it all seemed really beautiful still to me, what I was trying to leave behind and I would justify a lot of it. And I had soft uh, emotions towards it. But the one day I was sitting in the kitchen and I opened a book that we had been using uh, all throughout my, my youth really for spiritual study and, um, I, I was like paging through it. It was almost like I was testing it, trying to find like, this isn't so bad. You know, mm. what's so bad about this? And all of a sudden it was almost as if the scales fell from my eyes in that moment. And I was able to read the words. And this text was actually, um, what do you call it? Autodidacted. So the author actually said that, you know, they didn't write this book, that it was oh, okay. completely given to them. And um, anyway, so I'm reading these, these words and the sentences didn't even make sense. Grammatically speaking, but I'd never seen that before. Before it was like, wow, this is really wise. This is amazing. Look at the spiritual insight here. And I'm reading now and I'm like, that sentence means nothing. It doesn't even mean anything. And then one sentence caught my eye and it was, I am the source of my own salvation. Yikes. And I was like, at that moment, I think I, I put down the book and I know that I ran out of the house. And I ran all the way down the street because it was this moment of clarity. Like, I have read that even during this process to Christ, even returning to mass and all of those things. I had been reading that and I literally had not been able to see it. Spiritual blindness is real. (laughs) It is real. I could not see that sentence until that moment. It's
1: amazing. Was it was the book Conversations with God, by chance, the Mm -hmm. Donald, what's his name? Uh, I'm forgetting Um, his name. It's like three word name. Where it's It's, like all autodidactic and he he got a download from God and wrote it all down?
0: It's A Course in Miracles, which is used um, heavily, heavily. So,
1: um,
0: you know, and that's actually one of the phrases that you're supposed to, you're supposed to repeat, uh, you know, some sort of phrase every day. And that's actually on one of the cards. So, um, you know, I think the Unitarians use that, but lots of people use it.
1: Yeah, I definitely have heard it heard of it. I haven't read that one, but I did have this other book by oh, I forget his name now. I'll put it well, I won't I probably won't put it in the show notes, but <laughs> if I remember it, I may I may note the book. But um I remember similarly in my in my stage it was this kind of auto-downloaded book by some guru and it was like this is straight from this source of oneness and It, you know, certain aspects of it could seem poetic, but the whole thing on the whole was like, it left you kind of befuddled when you were done with it. And you just said, you know, thought to yourself, at least I did. Maybe I'm just not illuminated enough to get it. You know what I mean? I was just like, Mm -hmm. I need to develop further in my understanding of it. But when the, but when the scales do come from your eyes, you kind of recognize it for what it is. This happened to me too in my, in my own uh, faith walk with like uh, billboards and advertisements. I live in Los Angeles and we have... You can imagine right? any yeah. manner of kind of, you know, uh, outdoor advertisements, billboards and that kind of thing, in many cases, promoting shows and content. And I remember one time seeing this particular billboard and it, I'd probably driven by this thing a hundred times. And it was at some point in this journey, my spiritual walk. But I remember looking up at this billboard and just being like, struck by how blasphemous it was. I was like, wait a minute, I've been driving by this thing, and I'm not, you know, because I've had the experiences I've had, I I would never consider myself kind of puritanical in my approach. I, I really haven't been. I mean, I've worked in Hollywood for 20 plus years, but for some reason at this particular moment, that thing struck me so hard. That it was just not at all from God and not trying to do anything good, and yet I had driven by this thing a thousand times and never even noticed it. Yeah, and something changed in me. It wasn't a different message; it was the same exact message, and I just accepted it and taken it. And all of a sudden, boom! This whole realization.
0: Right. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty startling. Um, that was that happened to me with you know at different levels of pro life understanding as well. Like mm. you know, I, you could look at a picture of. Um, you know, a victim of abortion and get so angry at the person who posted the picture, but never have a moment of anger or grief for what is actually in front of, you know, what was actually in front of me. And yeah. so I, I I hit that point, you know, a similar thing where I was like, I saw the child for the first time.
1: Mm.
0: And why had I never been able to see the child before?
1: Wow. So the 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 other aspect of that, that i i mean i it comes out clearly in 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 the book at least the parts that i've read is your own you know personal walk of healing right the the difficulties that you've had the illnesses that you've had to contend with over the course of your life and how that struggle has kind of brought you closer to this understanding of the natural way god's way of harmonizing you know our mind body spirit etc and i wonder how all of this stuff you know maybe the new age and you're kind of coming to a deeper understanding the scales falling from your eyes how did that overlap with your kind of healing journey are they kind of one in the same or is it like how does that work
0: it's all (laughs) i don't know i guess i'm just like getting older because (laughs) it's all part of this beautiful tapestry you know where things i had rejected before you know, come full circle, and I'm able to see how God, they were all originally gods to begin with, and then they were distorted and, and, um, you know, and and co-opted and broken and mismanaged. And so, yeah, it's, I I guess it's all just, it's come full circle in that I, like it brings completion, not total completion, I'm not there yet, but um, to that healing from the new age and all Mm. of those wounds, Mm. because it's not just like, it's kind of like stepping at our uh, talking about stepping out of the medical system and then finding just another system. I stepped out of the new age and didn't just find another system to replace it, but I've discovered the threads of grace that were woven all throughout. And part of that natural healing is finding that resolution. That my, you know, like the answer, Christ is the answer to all of the broken things from the new age. But Christ is also the root at what the, of, of what we were seeking in the new age, you mm. know, and just finding in the wrong places. So, you know, the use of medicinal plants, the use of meditation, the use of the body, all of those things, they're, they're created by God and they're supposed to be ordered to him. And mm-hmm. so there's this peacefulness and not just this running away, um, you know, finding wholly who we are and not having a fear out there. There's just like reaction of fear to life, but the acceptance, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling on that a little bit, but my brain is like getting ahead of me in all these directions. It was such a good question.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no problem at all. Um, I'm thinking now th- th- this book, and maybe this relates a little bit to your answer, but you wrote this I don't know what part overlapped with COVID, but this was you came. This book came out in 2020, correct?
0: It did. Yep.
1: Okay. Um, and I know since then. So I guess two questions. Number one is you've you had an experience, and I and I told you when we were on the prepping for this that I definitely want to talk about your COVID experience, especially in light of all this. But even before we get to that, why did you decide to write the book then?
0: Well, actually, the book took me a few years to write. It was a it was a process, you know, and it's, it was a great gift. I kept thinking, this is taking too long. This is taking too long, but it was the Lord's timing because I had yet to experience, you know, significant disease progression. Um, You know, to a degree, I had not experienced and setbacks. I had yet to have additional diagnoses. I had yet to experience, you know, all these new layers of healing. So that took time. Um, I decided to publish in 2020 because it was just time. It, that was the plan. And I thought it was just this huge failure. like, oh my gosh, this is the worst timing. you know, I can't go out and, and I'll do all the things that an author would do um, and engage with people and you know um, And yet it was so perfect because mm. everything that I had written about this call to action, um, this call to reflection, you know, and what it means to be healthy and well in a Christian sense—like it was so amplified by the COVID craziness. You know, it was like everything that we had been doing wrong, we like we did wrong a hundred times more. You know, and um, so in, in the discussions and the arguments online and everywhere else, really centered around this pivotal question: What is health? How do we get healthy? Right? where do we turn who are the experts and this the facing the ultimate question of death mm. and then you know eternity and really that that's a big one it was that fear that terror of death which drove everything
1: do you think the net effect of covid globally has been to draw the consciousness nearer to where we should be or farther from where we should be
0: That is so unique to the individual soul. I think some people experienced profound conversion through this. And even now, you know, people are looking for answers because they realize, okay, I'm not going to get salvation from any medical advancement, even if we perfected everything, we're still going to die, you know? And we still have all of these other effects from all, from the efforts that, that we've taken. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, I think there's like a solidification of this dependence and reliance mm. on anything other than God. Mm. And so there's like the polarity of it has almost increased, but I do see so much hope because I, I see an um, increasing awareness, you know, of a lot of things that have never been on the table before to discuss um and so i i don't know it's like anything else i think it's just amplified maybe you know in our hearts like it's kind of like um what is that sports don't uh, don't increase character they it it reveals character right so same thing when we're put under pressure what happens to us and and i think that's a real it's it's created a real question mark for all of us like gosh what is what is our faith? What do we believe? You know, in places where people have felt abandoned by the church in this time. You know, really, really deep questions. We've been challenged for sure.
1: I remember when this is probably, I don't know, a few months into COVID when people realized this was real. And I recognize the kind of global character of this and try to think back, you know, yes, we've had other pandemics, but Never pandemics coupled with this global connectivity that we all have, where we can all experience the same thing and talk about it and share about it together. And it was at that moment that I remember describing to a friend that I didn't know what COVID was or how God specifically was involved in it. I mean, obviously, in, in, in his permissive sense, he was allowing it. But I did get this sense of kind of like when you wake somebody up from sleep, you know, you kind of put your hand on their shoulder and you sort of like rock them a little bit to kind of wake them up gently. And I, I I had this sense that COVID on some level globally, I'm talking about just, you know, from a just global community standpoint, because you're right, everybody's experience is different. But this sense that it was a moment that the Holy Spirit was using in a way to try to kind of jostle us, right, hmm. from this sleep in a very gentle, caring way, but to wake us to this bigger sort of understanding, which, you know, I agree with you, is that sense of ultimately relying on him and taking a much more uh, thoughtful look at the the tools, the the methods, preventative and otherwise, that we have at our disposal, built into our very biology, built into creation, to kind of look at at these things. So I don't know if that's correct, but that's the sense that I got because everybody was, you know, talking about bigger things. Everybody was talking about family and faith and career. And, like, we're all, like, sort of—and people of all stripes, you know, kind of out at the edge and wondering what comes next. And that moment of awareness, if nothing else, just the moment of awareness of people stopping their, like— just rat race and running around was to me, I thought a very hopeful moment, not what people have done with it, I don't know. But I felt at least the, the you know, kind of the the format was created or the the forum rather was created for us to take a hard look at some of these very big questions. And it happened kind of globally at the same time for everybody. And I thought that at least that was very promising, um, you know, coming out of uh, of this great pandemic that we've had.
0: Yeah, very much so. The a, a, an awakening, a shaking. Um <clears throat> it's the kind of thing that we pray for but don't really want, <laughs> you know, like God's answers to our tepidness and mm. you know, like, save me, Lord, from myself. And we get these earth shattering things and we're like, No, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you know, that wasn't <laughs> really what I was what I was going for. I just, you know, want to do like confirmation cake baking better or something i don't know (laughs) right
1: exactly exactly now i i I know to the to the degree you're comfortable talking about it i remember reading um when you were down with covid one of your um posts uh, online this is before i even met you and my wife shared it with me and i remember reading it and you had this you know first of all a, a pretty significant um you know physical You know, effects of COVID, right? So it it hits you pretty hard. But I remember reading this, and that you said that you know during it, it was this sort of sense of just I don't know spiritual exhaustion, and that just you needed somebody to just like rub your hair, you know, and or something like that. And it was just a sense of being so isolated and so kind of weak. And I had a similar experience with COVID. And I, I just, I wanted to just chat with you a little bit about it. Uh, the, the kind of maybe spiritual dimensions of, of of a case of COVID, maybe using yours as as an example.
0: Yeah, it was unlike anything that I've experienced before. And I know everybody has their own COVID experience. So I'm not saying other people experience this way, but I have also received feedback like yours where you know, other people have experienced it this way. And from a, from a spiritual perspective, um, you know, I have certainly experienced periods in my life of great darkness, of desolation, of doubt, um, of feeling disconnected from God in different ways, um, and a blackness, but this was different. And I would describe it, um, as being a block. Mm. So like not just feeling separated from God, but trying to seek God and having, a wall slammed down and it was very abrupt very um physical for me and very visual and i and i had a moment of panic you know a couple moments of panic where i was just like it was just like running into it and at one point i remember verbalizing and i i felt nothing emotionally and i felt like there was no way i could really get through but i'm like okay blessed mother like <laughs> this is emergency i have to hand this to you because i'm blocked out. And, um, you know, again, just a very personal experience, but that's the best way I can describe it. And I did have um, a, a friend of mine at one point. Uh, she, We talked on the phone and she prayed while we were on the phone. And this whole thing is very visual for me. I'm a visual person. And as she prayed, there was like this piercing. There was this, this one point. It was in the upper left-hand corner. I don't even know if that's significant, but there was this piercing of this Block, this blackness, and this one pinpoint of light. Mm. And for the rest of my experience with COVID, I focused on that pinpoint of light. And it, it just so, so there were so many lessons like intercessory prayer, how important intercessory prayer is, how much we need it, how much we should do it. Also, the other thing that was um, so profoundly impacted me, especially starting like the second day of my sickness, I, w- I understood so profoundly the diabolical isolation of the illness like all the various aspects i'm talking like what happened you know and and uh, um with our governments you know what happened with our separation of families i'm talking about the illness itself the the isolation was so unholy mm. we need each other and you mentioned you know like the touching i i don't remember exactly what i wrote but i just remember like The experience of having somebody reach into that isolation, even though I was surrounded by my whole family, that isolation was so intense. And I just remember, I couldn't cry because I couldn't breathe, but like interiorly weeping for these people who had been cut off from everyone. And it seemed impossible for me that they could live and like this great miracle that people made it. Mm. And um, so I, I I learned a lot through that process, but just a much greater, deeper awareness of the isolation of the need that we we've got to break through. We've got I mean, to break through for each other.
1: Yeah, and the importance of community and all this, because you're right. Look, you know, not to get conspiratorial, but also remembering that the enemy of our souls is really smart. And yeah. you know, if you're gonna think of just uh, you know an uh, an incredible stratagem right to 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 break and divide and create more isolation it's kind of a masterstroke, you know in in it, that truly, regard
0: truly no truly i mean it really is and and i think you know you said you know Dismissing the idea of conspiratorial, but I mean, what else does the enemy do? (laughs) Of course,
1: he conspires against us.
0: Conspires 24 7, right? Like the enemy does not sleep and has this like intelligence and passion that we can't fathom. So sometimes it's like, oh, well, it couldn't be spiritual. Why not? <laughs> it probably is. Well, know? and
1: even if even if it wasn't at its origin, it certainly was used as a tool, right? I mean, yes. it's like he's not going to pass up that opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: the door is open. Come on in, you know? I mean,
1: absolutely. Right. I think about also a lot of the people that, you know, sadly didn't make it and passed in isolation And, you know, so many, because God is outside of time, right? So we can still pray for those people who have passed that at that moment, they also saw that little light breakthrough in the top left and that they grabbed onto that light because they weren't surrounded by family and loved ones. And what a great crime that was really in in the grand scheme of things to have kind of, you know, uh, accelerated that kind of isolation. For for me, Melody, it was, you know, this sense, you described it as a wall. The way that I described it was like, you know, if you ever look at the like stock charts, you know, they kind of go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, like that kind of thing. And so, for me, it was things that would typically or ordinarily bring me to a peak of joy, whatever that is prayer, mm-hmm. spending time with my wife, you know, playing ball with my kids, riding my motorcycle, whatever that was those, those like peaks they no longer went to peaks, they went to plateaus. Mm-hmm. so it was like I could do the thing, but the 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 joy generated by this activity or moment that i've had a million times in my life couldn't be realized for a period of, I mean, months. I mean, t- t- to be honest, I had this in January, and we're in April now. I honestly think this may have, you know, on some level may even still be happening for me, but like it's, it's much more muted now. But that's something that... Um, I never really anticipated. And then you hear these kind of like, oh, you know, the brain fog or some of these different things, but it it really wasn't that. There was definitely that too. There was like this inability to kind of focus on a task, but there was this also, the only thing I can classify as a spiritual dimension to this, which was the inability to really experience the joy that, you know, a variety of different things would have normally brought in my life. And that's when I realized, I'm like, there, there definitely is something else here that again maybe the enemy is just using as a tool, but nevertheless was real in my life and it sounds like it was for you too.
0: Yeah. And in in fact, um, you know, it it was a good three months of recovery, you know. I, I it was not something that you just like, okay, illness is over, <laughs> you know, up and atom. And, you know, similar similar to what you've described.
1: Hmm. Melody, before we get to our final segment, Wait What?, I did want to have you speak a little bit about, you know, to the extent something comes next, right? Sunshine Principle is the book. I know you speak, you have, you know, by all intents, sort of a, a media ministry, uh, you know, socially, et cetera. But do you envision uh, like a, a follow-up work, a platform developing from this, or any other thoughts on kind of how you take the work of the Sunshine Principle forward?
0: I have thought a lot about that because there's so much that I could do. And I've actually had people speak into that and say, you know, do a workbook. And and one difficulty, again, was that it was published in 2020. So I literally could not go places and do workshops and really dive in with people in person, which is what I just longed to do. Um, And so, you know, time passes and it gets and within the context of my vocation. Also, it's like, well, where am I called here? Um, is this just something to throw out there and add to the conversation um and then just live fully in my life? Um, I think there are just different ways that it manifests right now i'm I'm just sort of open, mm. you know um, I am still a person who's physically you know, I, I'm in the process of healing from all these things, like the sunshine principle and my journey is not really over. So it takes me in different directions. So I have like, there are other ideas for books. I have drafts, you know, and it's just like subjecting. You know how it is. I mean, you, you're in a family and you have to weigh all of it and figure out where does my family need me and where does, you know, where's God calling me to, to stretch out a little bit. Um, the topics cover a broad spectrum, but they're really ultimately focused on that healing and restoration in order to the heart of Jesus Christ in one way or another. Um, I, the, the one thing that I'm engaged in right now is with the physical healing is that um, I'm developing out, like I'm a, I, I got my personal trainer certification, um, I have a soul soul core soul I'm core, soul, yeah. soul core certified leader, which I, I absolutely love. And I'm now working on my pH of fitness certification.
1: And, and for one of the who, things For yeah. people who don't know Soul Core though, the, yeah. can you can you explain Soul Core?
0: So Soul Core is an apostolate which it intentionally engages the whole person in the sacred experience of the rosary. It integrates the prayers of the rosary with core strengthening, mobility, functional movements, and that's to nourish Body and soul, and encourage deeper reflection on the mm. virtues. And then, PHA fitness is similar but different. Um, PHA believes that your body is a temple, of the Holy Spirit, a beautiful cathedral for God's glory, and that every cathedral needs a strong base upon which to stand, and that's Christian prayer, strengthening exercises. And um, my focus here really is like seeing the places in natural, the natural health movement which keep getting thrown entirely into a cult and New Age. And one of those is yoga. No matter what practitioner I've gone to, whether it's been mainstream or, you know, alternative, or even like in the church, people just shoot you back to yoga. And I cannot emphasize enough how spiritually risky that is. So I wanted a way to be able to lead people in other directions because we need ways to manage stress We need ways to bring our, um, you know, adrenal function back (laughs) into alignment to reincorporate prayer and to honor the body. And so um, hopefully in the next year, that's something I'm going to be expanding online and also locally. If anybody wants to buy me a building, I'd really love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not above asking. Buy me a building now.
1: I love the whole fitness uh, side of things, too, and that kind of, um, you know, approaching, uh, you know, getting the temple fit, right? From that standpoint, we have to bring you back and just talk about that, because I definitely have some some thoughts and observations there. And look, if you're not weary of having people speak into what your plans might be in the future, I, I'd offer you this. I think that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is always with us and has been, even from before we are around. And... The, the, the truths of the Christian faith are always the truth, of the truth of the Christian faith. Nevertheless, I believe that there are moments of emphasis that the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit places on us. And I think that there's been a moment of emphasis, and maybe you can go back to the Second Vatican Council and say that that was the starting point of this emphasis, I'm not sure. But this emphasis on healing and an emphasis on accompaniment that mm-hmm. I think are desperately needed right now, especially in our country, the more I look at issues like, yes, physical uh, health and well-being, but also some of the big issues that we think about as, as Catholic Christians, abortion, euthanasia, homelessness, some of these things, increasingly I see them not as things to be solved, but things to be healed. And if, the, if that's true, if homelessness is supposed to be healed, if abortion is something to be healed, then we better understand how that healing works and who does the healing. And so for me, the work that you're doing is super important. So I would only encourage you in as much as I can to continue to do that kind of work that's emphasized, uh, that emphasizes healing, because I think it's something desperately important for our, you know, our world and especially our country to know.
0: Thank you. Beautifully articulated.
1: And, you know, on that note, um, you know, in terms of um, you know the the information that you've shared and some that you haven't, we're going to include all the information on the book, on how to follow you, on Soul Core, on these different things that we've talked about in the show notes, so that you know people can avail themselves of all of this information. And um, and you know our, our our prayers, Melody, for you, for your work, for for this great apostolate, for all of the these things that you're leading, is with you. And um, and we hope for just greater prosperity. To all the things that you're that you're doing.
0: Uh, thank you so much.
1: Are you ready then, Melody, to play Wait What?
0: Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm <laughs> That's a good answer.
1: That is a good answer. All right. So, Melody, your life before Catholicism, as we've talked about, was influenced in part by spiritual practices from the East. So I thought that this question would be an interesting one for you. It turns out that next month, on May 15th of this year, Pope Francis will canonize Devasahayam Pillai, also known by his baptismal name as Lazarus Pillai. Lazarus was an Indian man born to a Hindu family in the 18th century. He was a practitioner of yoga, He was an official in the court of the king who converted to Catholicism after a chance encounter with a Dutch naval commander, and he was eventually martyred for his Christian faith. Now, when he is canonized next month, Melody, he will become the first ever blank from India to be canonized by the Catholic Church. Fill in the blank. When he's canonized next month, he will become the first ever blank from India to be canonized by the Catholic Church.
0: How many people say, I have no idea?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only the ones that want to get the, the, they don't want to get a point for the question. So you, that's you, right. you no, no guesses.
0: The first, um, I don't know, yoga instructor. <laughs> yep.
1: and, and probably that's true as well. But yeah, but yeah he's the first lay person to oh. be ever canonized by the Catholic Church. Apparently we've had religious and, and some clergy that, that have been canonized, but never a layperson, so he will really? be the first that in is just so, a matter of weeks.
0: That is so significant.
1: Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. Lazarus I, Pillai. Mm-hmm.
0: I have a son named Lazarus.
1: Well, there you go.
0: That's really cool
1: coincidence yeah right
0: yeah i get to go <laughs> i get to go look all that up i'm really thank you for sharing all that
1: of course all right question number 2 melody this is going to be easy you got to get this okay. one okay. which of these is false about your home state of ohio oh, is it i'm <laughs> you're terrible <laughs> at at this kind of stuff of course okay all right so is it a the first state to enact laws to protect working women was written in Ohio. Is it B, Ohio was the first state to found a co-ed and interracial learning institution? Or is it C, Joseph Minor, originally from Dayton, Ohio, became the winningest Olympian ever at the time during the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin? Which is false.
0: Wow, I have no idea. You gave me two, I have no idea questions.
1: Well, this one you can guess though, because it's just, it's you I got a 33% guess. chance.
0: All right, um, I'm gonna guess B is false.
1: Oh, sadly, that is incorrect. Actually, the correct answer is C. There was a very famous Olympian from Ohio, but his name was Jesse Owens. He grew up in Cleveland. And he won a bunch of gold medals in the 1936 Olympics. Um, no, the, that that is the correct answer. And it is true that Ohio was the first state to enact laws to protect working women. And it was also the first state uh, to fu- to found an institution. It was Oberlin College, uh, founded in 1833.
0: That's right by me.
1: Yep. Right by you. Well, that was right the first interracial, interracial and co-educational college in the whole country. So there you go.
0: So I, I right. failed... I failed. <laughs> but it's okay.
1: It's okay because the wait what is designed in this way, Melody, where the last one you're guaranteed to get right because it's just, it's a, you know, writing your own answer question and it's because it's a time machine question. And here goes. You get a chance to travel back in time to what is today Hesse, Germany in the year 1136. After some exploration, you make your way to what looks like a church and you discover that in fact, it's a monastic abbey. There you meet a woman, the prioress of the new abbey, and her name is Hildegard. You, of course, instantly know that you've happened upon the great future doctor of the church, St. Hildegard von Bingen. Hildegard is not yet 40 years old, and you know that many of her theological, musical, and medicinal works are still ahead of her. Nevertheless, you also know from her history that she's been having mystical experiences for years and has feared to write anything down out of a deep sense of prudence and given her many physical ailments. You have a chance to encourage the great saint in sharing her wisdom with the world. How, Melody, would you encourage her?
0: Oh, that is so difficult. It's being in the presence of people who just exude holiness and the grace of God is like, you know... um, It's like being ministered to, even if you're in a position of ministry. I know you have experienced that. So that's immediately, you know, placing myself in that position. That's how I feel, you know, being in that position. Um, But and I don't know that I could encourage her in any way that she already wouldn't have been encouraged. But I guess I would just speak into the future. And, um, you know, well, if I, I, I would already have that advantage of knowing the future. But just what we know with all of prophecy right all of prophecy points to the truth and the glory of jesus christ in the way that he just um, you know, weaves his glory throughout everything so just to surrender everything that she was doing to his glory and enter in with that just uh, with that reckless abandon of soul and that joy you know within the context of course of the order uh, of her life which she did so beautifully so i guess that's what i would just say
1: well i I think that's beautiful and I think that that would in fact encourage her greatly so great job and you get that one right see beautiful Yay. <laughs> yeah, and, and it ended on a high note yeah. melody again what a great privilege it is to have you on the show uh, God bless you and prosper all of the things that you're involved with and again we'll have all the information to the essential mother to um, all of the different activities that you're involved with in the show notes for this episode thanks for being on
0: thank you so much
1: And if you're listening to our voices, that means it's time to subscribe. Please do so and share this episode in particular with that person who can be encouraged by the discussion that we've had with Melody, by her story, by her great work, her great book, and in a quest to find healing in the arms of Jesus. And we'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's call-usa.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.